Okay. Great. So we're working primarily out of Revelation 2, 8 through 11 this afternoon as our primary text. But first we'll uh, kind of have some introductory statements and then get right into it. John Owen says, Without absolutes revealed from without by God himself, we are left rudderless in a sea of conflicting ideas about manners, justice, and right and wrong, issuing from a multitude of self-opinionated thinkers. The truth of Scripture and the absolutes of Scripture are something that the Christian holds fast to in his or her life. To seek out absolute truth means to continue looking to the one who created us with absolute truth and holiness bound in his very essence. Hiding the word in our hearts and seeing the fruits that come from speaking the truth of God is not only what we're called to do, but it's what we should be delighting in. So we could use this pulpit time to talk about current events that will affect our future, but the fact is we're facing the same problems as Christian people that we always have. We could use this time to talk more in depth about these things and how they affect our families, societies, and churches, but we'd only be teasing out what has been proven over and over in the course of biblical and church history, which is the believers of old and modern Christians are called to be set apart from the world and its various teachings of truth, living peaceably and faithfully with good report, no matter what the consequences may be of proclaiming that truth. Our consciences are to be bound by what God says to us, desires of us, what Jesus has done for us, and what the prophets and apostles teach us concerning who we are and why we need to be saved. Is that claim of truth worth defending? Even in the face of great trials, even death? Well, Jesus himself gives us the understanding that it is very much worth it. In the passage of Revelation 2, 8 through 11, we see a church struggling with very real trials. The kind that result in decisions of life and death. This is a church, a very real church, made up of real people. We look at the words in this passage and it can be very easy to remove our spiritual and emotional response. Because perhaps these things happened very long ago. That doesn't speak to our time. However, Christians should remember that the church is visible and invisible. And all the experience she faces are ordained by God. The people that made up the body of the church of Smyrna, the people that remained faithful unto death are brothers and sisters that worship even now with us. But now in the light-filled presence of our Lord, the absolutes that were revealed to them, the doctrines that were taught to them, are not only important for the church, but it was, in the end, what they held on to, even to the point of incarceration and death. So for our edification today, we'll look at three ways that Jesus speaks to this church, as well as us, in trial, as it proclaims the truth of the gospel in a world that needs the light of Jesus. Number one, Jesus knows. Two, Jesus comforts. And three, Jesus gives. Let's pray. Lord, this is 
sometimes a hard text to read and to expound because there are so many places in the Bible that we can go where there are followers that joy and relish whenever they're suffering. And it's hard for us in our suffering to see you clearly. But you've told us that you're there with us to fear not and to hold on to what you've taught us with everything that we have. And Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us to do just that through the words that we're about to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide till the day is done. There is not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. The excerpt of this hymn is so simple. When friends and family fail you, and we will, this friend will never leave you. Amen. He pursues the heart, he claims it, and grants us his eternal love and kinship. This hymn passage brings to mind a statement that we just read from the letter to the Smyrnians. I know your tribulation and your poverty and your slander. And that brings to mind another passage from Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you, that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Ask yourself something. How do you truly know somebody? Can you ever truly know a person? The innermost parts of a person are so complex. Our struggles, desires, intentions, and all could be mired with sin. How can anybody know anybody else's thoughts or their hearts, their struggles, or their intentions? I have trouble expressing myself in words. Uh, my wife can attest to this. As long as we've been together, I have always struggled expressing my inner heart's exact emotion and thoughts outwardly. I tend to complicate much of what I say and do. However, because of sin, all mankind struggles communicating to one another exactly what's in their hearts, or even keeps it completely secret. Also, given that the human heart can deceive, we may not even know or communicate well even to ourselves. If humanity struggles in this way, how is it that anyone can know exactly who we are? The answer lies in what's found in the heart. That can only be spiritually seen. And Jesus, as our maker, sees our hearts. For the final words of Psalm 19 state, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In John 2, 24 and 25, we read, But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So here in the letter to Smyrna, we witness again that Jesus truly knows what's in man. Truly, he knows what's in our hearts. And because of this, he truly intercedes for his people at the right hand of the Father. Truly, Jesus knows and cares for our struggles, our hurts, and our fears that we can't articulate clearly to the world. 
It's also in reading this passage in Revelation 2 that gives us the insight into Jesus knowing his sheep and how he cares for them as the shepherd. The warning that he gives to the Smyrnians comes out of care for them, confirming that their faithful witness isn't in vain. Just look at how he speaks to the church of Smyrna. Can you sense that he sees and cares for them? Let's read it again. The words of the first and the last, who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. He personally knows each one in this congregation. It's worth mentioning, too, that Jesus doesn't rebuke this church, rather encourages them to stand firm because he is with them. But herein lies another point, too, that we have to consider in how he knows and he cares for us. He rebukes us in his word. He rebukes us um, as an act of care. To the end that we'd be restored to him by turning to him. For him to rebuke us means that he sees what's in our hearts and that he sees where we're heading and is telling us, come back, come back. We have a new identity in Christ, different in nature from our first birth. Brothers and sisters, if the old is passed away, our new identity is found in Christ. And this change only happens in the heart He teaches us to love what he loves and reject what he rejects, which is what the church has been and always will be criticized for by the world. For the fulfillment of the law is found in Jesus' life, ministry, death, resurrection, and ascension. Our bodies and minds may look the same after we have been turned to Christ, but God the Father looks at us through the lens of Christ. And our actions, our practicing holiness by repenting of sin and trusting him, all stems from our Savior residing within us and advocating and interceding for us at the Father's side. Jesus truly knows who we are because we are in him and he in us. Because of this truth, Jesus stays with us, protects us, gives us the words that we need to say, gives us eyes to see and gives us ears to hear. We were once dead men and women. But he truly has given us the gift of new life and daily conforms us into his image through the power of the Holy Spirit. How personal is our God to his people? For he knows us by name. That's taken from Isaiah 41. He knows us by name. He knows our fears, our sorrows, and knows our numbered days. And like Lazarus, lifted us out of death to be with him as a friend. And to think this was planned before the foundations of the world were ever spoken into existence. 
Just as an anecdote to close out this section of Jesus knowing us. It's this very point of Jesus knowing us that speaks to me as a composer. To use this very basic metaphor, we are Jesus' musical composition, and God is crafting us until the day of our performance. Muse with me for a minute about this. He writes our themes, teases out our developments. He knows how to unwind the web of dissonance in us and conforms our entire structure to what is pleasing to his ear. He knows how we interact harmoniously with some situations and other times struggle so that our musical themes would be stronger in the future. But like the mind of any great composer, only he's greater, he knows how the piece will end before all the ink of a composition is on paper. In other words, he's crafting you for the day that you will be performed, so to speak. So when we see him face to face in the marvelous and perfect theater of the new heavens and new earth, we will be presented as his perfected works harmoniously reciting and singing all the works that Jesus has done as we're conducted by the Savior himself. Truly, no one can know us like Jesus knows us. Secondly, Jesus comforts. Our Savior at the beginning of this section states he is the first and the last and the one who died and came to life. What an introductory statement to a letter. (laughs) This truth has significance for the church of Smyrna as well as for us. Jesus comforts us by showing how the church is unified by his suffering, death, and resurrection. One of the hardest truths about being a follower of Christ is that the walk is not easy. Christians are called to live counterculturally. The gospel in and of itself is countercultural. This leads to us experiencing tumultuous and uncertain times, even to the point of worshiping in the church underground. After all, Jesus did tell us about the hardships we'd face when we pick up that cross and follow him. You see the world around us moving, sometimes lurching in dangerous directions that threaten many people, not just Christians. And not to politicize this, but this could happen at any point in the future, just as it has in the past. Mm-hmm. We continue to hear about many Christians and brother, brothers and sisters being jailed or killed at the hands of unjust governments and by deceived peoples, all of which are revealed in this letter as being works of the devil. We're publicly mocked and ridiculed for trusting in Jesus Christ and holding fast to the law of God as our rule of faith. However, when these thoughts become overbearing and the violent and twisted news becomes maddening, our Savior continues to say to us, Fear not. It was only a handful of years later after this letter was written that one of John's disciples, Polycarp, Bishop of Smyrna, And the Christians under his care would be martyred at the hands of the government at the instigation of the Jewish sect that lived in Smyrna. It must have been very bad for the Christians there. However, the Smyrnians during the time of the great persecution would write these things about these martyrs in a letter as a witness. Here's an excerpt. Quote, And they, the martyrs, found the fire of their inhuman torturers cold. For they set before their eyes the escape 
from the eternal fire, which is never quenched. While the eyes, while with the eyes of their heart, they gazed upon the good things which are reserved for those that endure patiently. Things which neither ear has heard nor eye has seen, neither have the, in, neither have the, neither have they been seen in the heart of men, but were shown to them by the Lord, for they were no longer men, but angels already, that is to say, present with the Lord after death. Imagine some of these scenarios with me for a minute or two. If someone came through this door right now and said that we were in violation of the law and that we're threatened with jail, what would be your hope? If someone were to use um, mail and cease and desist letters and court order letters, um, sending them to us to proclaim or say that we were proclaiming uh, scriptural truths that were openly fought against, by the culture, how would we respond? If we were in violation of state and federal law by meeting and worshiping, would we be willing to accept those consequences as our brother and sisters in Smyrna did? They didn't seek persecution where there wasn't, nor did they throw themselves into martyrdom. It found them because it was the will of God, also that they may be tested. Jesus even told them they would be facing the reality of jail time or death due to the heavy instigation by the Jews that lived in Smyrna. But do not fear what you are about to suffer, are his words. As an act of grace, Jesus reminded them what they would be facing because they have faithfully held on to the word and promises of God, holding fast to the absolute truth about God revealed to us in the writings that make up his holy Bible. And not wavering to the pressure. That's what made the church at Smyrna spiritually rich. The comfort of the Lord is upon us through his word. Let's turn to Isaiah 26 real quick. Let's read these promises. And why we shouldn't fear men or the sword. These are the promises that our Lord spoke to Isaiah. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock, for he has humbled the inhabitants of the height, the lofty city. He lays it low, lays it low to the ground, casts it to the dust, the foot tramples it, the feet of the poor, the steps of the needy. The path of the righteous is level. You make level the way of the righteous. In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you, your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. If favor is shown to the wicked, he does not learn righteousness. In the land of the upright of uprightness, he deals corruptly and does not see the majesty of the Lord. 
O Lord, your hand is lifted up, but they do not see it. Let them see the zeal for your people and be ashamed. Let the fire of your adversaries consume them. O Lord, you will ordain peace for us. For you have indeed done for us all our works. O Lord, our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us, but in but your name alone we bring to remembrance. They are dead. They will not live. They are shades. They will not arise. To that end, you have visited them with destruction and wiped out all remembrance of them. But you have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have enlarged all the borders of the land. O Lord, in distress they sought you. They poured out a whispered prayer when your discipline was upon them. And like a pregnant woman who rises and cries out in her pangs, and when she is near giving birth, so were we because of you, O Lord. We were pregnant. We writhed. But we have given birth to wind. We have accomplished no deliverance in the earth. And the inhabitants of the world have not fallen. Your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light. And the earth will give birth to the dead. Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut the doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until the fury has passed by. For behold, the Lord is coming out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And the earth will disclose the bloodshed on it and will no more cover its slain. Those are the promises of God. We read and hear these words knowing that the Lord is comforting and gracious to us through his promises. How he spares us from the second death and gives us strength to face our adversaries. Because God has proved himself victorious over sin and death through Jesus, how great and caring and marvelous is our God to conquer our enemies for us so that we might have peace and live without fear. Thirdly, Jesus gives. What we learn from this passage is that Jesus gives to us gifts. What exactly does he give to the congregation in Smyrna and to us in this passage? Well, first he gives us the promise of eternal life. Though we are to pass from this world, our persevering will only yield great glory in our being in the presence of our Lord. Secondly, He gives us the Spirit who opens our ears and aids us in conquering sin. The Holy Spirit who resides within our bodily temple is sanctifying us and conforming us into the image of Jesus who makes us holy and sets our mind on things that are eternally significant. As Paul says in Romans 8, 5-11, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the minds on the flesh is death. But to set the minds on the things of the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but are in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, 
Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Amen. Thirdly, He gives us the promise that we will never see the second death. That is, to face His wrath for which no soul can endure. Jesus took the wrath of God on our behalf. For us, to profess that he descended to hell means that we profess that the cup of wrath was completely outpoured upon him to the point of true death. That profession makes us witnesses to the goodness of God in Jesus Christ to the world. That because he truly died and was truly raised, we will not even taste the second death that we all deserve. Because of this, we offer up our bodies as living sacrifices in service to our King, who knows us and comforts us through His promises. Was this truth not laid out for us in Daniel when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace at Nebuchadnezzar's awful request? Who was it that was with them in the furnace and abided with them while the furnace burned so intensely that not even the flesh of the guards could handle or resist the flames? It was our Lord that spared them and abided with them because of their understanding that they would not die even the second death. They believed that salvation is of the Lord. The church at Smyrna abided in Christ through their persecutions and torment as to be a faithful witness to the world. They chose who they were to serve and the world witnessed it. Jesus gave them that strength. Jesus gave them renewed hearts and minds to be faithful and to endure. Jesus abided with them, giving them a reminder of the promise that they would not taste the second death. So how does this apply to us? John 5 states, um, in John 5, Jesus states that those who would hear his voice would live He also states that the scriptures all bear witness about him and that the word should abide in our hearts. That is, the words of Moses in the Torah, the prophets and the writings all attest to him. Then he states, if you do not believe Moses' writings, how then will you believe my words? Jesus preached as well as fulfilled all of the law given to Moses. It's his word that has been given to us to hold fast to. This word that has been so carefully passed down through much trial and hardship, it's in our hands right now. Amen. And even more, we read Jesus' words to Smyrna knowing that as, he, as his words speak to us, he cannot go against his word, nor can he make promises that he cannot keep. For the church past, the church present, and the church future to thrive and see the Lord's kingdom building by his hand, we're to hold fast to what Jesus himself taught us concerning him and his word. There is no other rule of faith that can withstand time 
and stand for all eternity. This is clearly said in chapter 8 of the Gospel of John. Quote, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And later, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. And here's the climax. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Take note of how many times in that passage the word truth or truly has been said to you from Jesus' own words. These are relatively short passages too. As believers in him, we shouldn't ever take these statements lightly, nor question the validity of our Savior's truth claims. We sometimes struggle to understand what some passages of scriptures mean, or even have a hard time with how and why God ordered things the way that he did. But as we struggle with our understanding of the word that he gave to us, we can presuppose that Jesus is the central point and fulfillment of all of scripture, and that his words are true and right. Lest who do we believe? With these words of Jesus as a foundation, the answer to why the Smyrnians held fast to the word in times of trouble is because they knew they were truly free in Christ. Jesus made them free from a world enslaved to sin. And it was their witness that would continue to pass down the message and content of what you have in your hands. Brothers and sisters, the gospel proclamation surpasses the generations even under the hardest stresses that plague the church. Thanks be to God for his faithful promises continuing. We can proclaim that we are sinners saved by grace and truly free, not because of the martyrdom or hardships of our church, family past and present, but because Christ has freed us with his blood. There are no chains that can hold us down in this world. And we can truly proclaim the good news of Jesus to those that are still shackled in the bonds of their own sin, whatever the consequence. So then, to those that don't trust the Lord, to those who don't trust the Lord for their salvation, from sin, from the devil's grasp, I pray that you trust him wholeheartedly. That you'd embrace him as your knower, your comforter, and giver and preserver of your life. That you would consider your sin and how our Savior took that sin upon himself. I pray that the veil is lifted from your heart and your eyes and that you draw closer to him. And if you do, I pray that as a church, we would stand together as a witness to the culture and world around us to sing together in our Savior's presence. Secondly, to those who are backsliding, once believing fervently and now have gone cold in following him. The trials that you face require the truth that has been revealed to us, not washing back and forth between wave and winds of unbiblical doctrines. The witnesses in the scriptures and the church and Jesus say to all of us, 
repent, and cling to Christ. For assuredly, there will come a time in our lives when we are tested in our relationship to Jesus, as the Smyrnians were. Would you deny him? In which Matthew 10.33 says that he will deny you to his Father. Or will you boldly proclaim that truth found in the Scriptures? In that time of testing, would you trust Him with your body, your mind, and spirit, knowing that it's only Jesus that is the way, the truth, and the life? There is no ideology, person, community, or philosophical practice of this world that can save a person's soul. Amen. For it's only a chapter later that we hear the rebuke of the church at Laodicea. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold... I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Think on Jesus' words to those who are lukewarm. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Unlike Laodicea, the church of Smyrna became conquerors because they held fast to what is true and endured to the end. What are you holding fast to that makes you cold to the gospel of Jesus Christ? And are you assured that it will endure for eternity? And finally, to us, to those that have been saved by the blood of Christ and desire to seek the Lord with our hearts and our minds, we are to endure these trials with our eyes fixed on His grace and His love toward us. He who knows you will remember your name for eternity, reading your name from the Lamb's Book of Life when we stand before His presence on the Day of Judgment. The second death has passed from you because of his love toward you. This is the truth and the promise that has been said by our Lord Jesus. It is he who comforts you and prepares your heart with all love and mercy, giving you all that you need and the words to say in personal and worldly trials, as difficult as they may be. For temptations and trials regarding sin... Paul in Galatians 5 says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you, your flesh, want to do. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Our walking by the Spirit and love for the Word of God go hand in hand. Both things show us our sin and glorify God. We're not perfect in doing these things. But you can be assured that God will perfect us on the last day. So then, hold fast to the absolute truth that's been given to you in Scripture. Teach your children Teach your families 
the scripture that was given to the world at the revelation of Christ. And as we look to the future where we'll see him face to face, either in death or his coming back, we proclaim these truths. For he is worthy of all praise and glory because he gave us true life. For the reward of standing in his eternal presence is far greater than anything earthly. For the words, well done, good and faithful servant are sweeter than the kindest word that the world can give. I'd like to close with the wise words of our brother, Polycarp, who was mentioned earlier. I believe he sums up our subject of holding fast very well in his letter to the Colossians. Stand fast, therefore, in these things and follow the example of the Lord. Being firm, and unchangeable in the faith, loving the brotherhood, and being attached to one another, joined together in the truth, exhibiting the meekness of the Lord in your intercourse with one another, and despising no one. Let's meditate on what we've heard from God's word today. Hide it in our hearts. Let's also pray that God preserves us in all of our trials, giving us the strength to grasp his word with all of our being, even in the most unthinkably difficult times, so that, as the church visible, we're unified for the cause of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, you know what's best because truth is bound up in your essence. And as your people, we are to seek you in spirit and in truth and worship you in spirit and in truth. These are difficult things to think about because they're not comfortable. Suffering. But Lord, you are with us and you know us you comfort us, you guide us, the path that we need to go. May we be bold. May we understand Scripture so that we can articulate it through the power of the Holy Spirit boldly to our world, the world that you've given us to cultivate. I pray that you be with each and every one of us and our families as we learn more about you in daily life, in corporate worship. And may we continue to hold fast to the truth and the word that you have given to us and pass it on to the next generation and the gen- next generation after that, no matter what the church looks like. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. Turn now to Psalm 40, Selection C.
Thank you.